Hello, I'm Stephen Fry, a trustee of the Royal Academy of Arts and very proud to be so. Welcome to our podcast. I'm delighted to welcome Royal Academician Cornelia Parker to our annual event. Uh, Cornelia Parker is one of today's most renowned artists who is well known for her large-scale, often site-specific installations. She has had major solo exhibitions at galleries worldwide and her works are held by numerous public and private collections in Europe and America, including the Tate, British Museum, Centre Georges Pompidou in Paris and MoMA in New York. She was shortlisted for the Turner Prize in 1997, was elected to the Royal Academy in 2009 and appointed an officer of the Order of the British Empire in 2010. Last year, she was awarded Apollo Artist of the Year and she has just been appointed as the official election artist for the upcoming general election. So we're amazed that she took time out of that amazingly busy schedule to come and talk to us this evening. Um, so, but this evening, to coincide with the launch of her latest print editions, Cornelia Parker will be speaking about her printmaking practice, firstly talking herself about her work and then we'll be joined um, by Jan Daly, arts editor of the um, Financial Times. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming Cornelia Parker, thank you. Um, thank you for coming. My printmaking history is not very big. You know, I haven't done hundreds of prints. I've done a few charity prints over the years, and I was trying the other day to go through all my files, trying to find images of some of the first prints, and I think it was pre-digital. <laughs> so, um, so I'm going to show you mostly prints I've made over the last, you know, recent history. The, the prints I have here in the fair are based uh, using Fox Talbot, the photographer pioneer photographer who was one of, uh, you know, in uh, 1840, image here in 1840, was one of the pioneers of photography. He just, he, I mean, he's more well known because daguerreotype was happening at the same time. He invented the negative, the photographic ne negative, and I use the word positive and negatives in my work all the time. Um, he also uh, invented the photogravure, which my prints here are the photogravure, and they, they came out of my love of Fox Talbot. This is um, uh, silver objects and free glass shells. And uh, I've, you know, I've worked a lot, if you know my work, with silver. And this is me out at some antique fair. So I'm, I've, I've had my eye on, eye on Fox Talbot for about 30 years. Um, this is 1998, <laughs> my, my infamous 30 pieces of silver, which is the, this is the process of my work. I never really I was very good technically. So um, I've borrowed all the techniques that are in the world already, you know, lots of the frictions. Um, so this is almost, you know, I wish now I had a big piece of paper I'd put over the whole thing and uh, I'd made a nice print out of it. Um, this is uh, an alter ego and it's called Snuff. So it's one um, candle hold, you know, candlestick snuffing out another one. So I've had a long relationship with silver and photography. This is a little photographic, um, this is photographic silver, um, that's been taken out of um, fix, fixative, and I've made it into, with the help of some guy in his garage who, who basically gets all the chemicals from photography and takes out the silver. I asked him if he could make some sheets for me, because um, he had this little tank. And normally what he'd do is get this little metal plate, and he'd let all the particles of silver all collect on the plate, and then he'd scrape it into a bag and sell the silver. And I said, could you just make it, allow it to collect until they were actually a physical object? And then when I, he, he, made, he made me about 10 of them. And what I loved about them is they hold all these little scratches on them, on the back side. 
and it's because he'd been scratching the plate, you know. That, and so I, this is, I, for me, it was almost like a silver point print. So my, my interaction with printmaking was kind of once removed. These are, this is tarnish collected off silver, famous people's silver objects. So you've got Charles Dickens's spoon, you've got Henry VIII's armor, you've got uh, um, Charles Darwin's um, sextant, you've got um, um, Colt, Samuel Colt's soup tureen, um, Jim Barry's um, soup spoon, uh, <laughs> this is a very phallic object. Uh, this is me polishing um, Jim Barry's, um, who invented the Bowie knife, you know, David Barry named himself after. And this is in the Alamo, and they allow me to polish his silver spoon. The Daughters of the Republic of Texas, who, uh, who, who maintain the reputation of the heroes who died at the Battle of the Alamo. Um, and I asked if I could polish some of their objects they had there when I was doing a residency. And I, they watched me make this, and then when I looked at it, it looked very phallic. <laughs> so I think, in a way, this is printmaking, but in a different way. Um, this is one of my heroes, Duchamp. This is his large glass um, with dust settling on it. He had it on his, his bed in his studio, and Man Ray photographed this, um, his, his large glass covered in dust. And Duchamp would leave a little note saying to his cleaner, please do not disturb dust breeding. <laughs> and so I love the idea that Duchamp... Um, could allow the neglect of his work or the neglect of sort of, you know, leaving his work for 10 years then coming back to it, which I do, <laughs> um, as, uh, and do uh, his, you know, his collaboration with Man Ray is something that inspired me. So one of my early prints, um, this is, this is uh, I was asked by the Chinati Foundation, I think in the late 90s in Texas, where they, um, that Donald Judd had his foundation. Um, I visited it when I was doing a residency in Texas in 1997. And um, they asked me if I'd do a print for their, for their patrons, you know, because um, they give them a, a limited edition print every year to thank them for all the donations. And because I'd been out to the Chinati Foundation a few times, they, uh, and I was sort of like a friend of the foundation. So I said, could you go and clean the Donald Judd um, these beautiful 100 stainless steel cubes that was out on the foundation, which is all, they're all very pristine, it's all about minimalism. So I asked, could you clean all the, all the dust and the debris out of them and send it to me, which they did. And this is a, a, this is a fly that, di that died on Judd, <laughs> which is just a scan um, on a scanner. And then I made them, this is what I made them for their limited edition print, which is called Dust Breeding on, on Judd. <laughs> and all, so all these, these, all the people who loved minimalism got one of these, <laughs> which I'm sure they've just chucked in the bin. <laughs> um, oh. um, and then a few years ago, I met Alan Cristeo, who asked me if I'd like to make some prints with him, which I've... I was very excited about, you know, the idea of making prints because um, I like the idea of my work being not costing lots of money and it being um, sort of available to anyone. Um, and so this is the first edition I did with him. Um, and it, it, we did the edition together about 2007, 2008, but this was, has got the date of 2003. I did this piece in, in New York, which was, I didn't know, I didn't think it was going to be prints or didn't know what form it's going to take. I just showed one-off things. But this is what I did. I went on eBay, which is where I, I used to get all my work, the stuff in my work from boot sales and jumble sales, and now eBay's sort of taken over a bit. Um, <laughs> and so I'd go on eBay and I'd find people who 
who dug up things from metal detectors, because I did a piece a long time ago in Germany where I went with a metal detector and I dug up all this material and I suspended it just above the ground to, to mimic the amount of space underneath the ground that it had been deposited. Um, I was half German and I was digging up my German past, which I'd rejected very early on in my life because, you know, it was, had lots of connotations to do with things I didn't want to know about. Um, so I called it avoided object. So the whole suite of work came out of that, the idea of the avoided object. So I was interested in things that had been buried, you know, that had been lost and had um, people with metal detectors had found them. So on the internet, I bought, um, I bought some of these objects. I bought six lots from Americans and six lots from England. And this is, this is, this is an American lot. And I, I did, made these prints where there was a scan on the scanner with the day's newspaper held up quite high above it. So you get this dark ground. Um, and then you get a description by the person who bought you know, selling it on eBay. Um, and it's, they're, they're lovely descriptions, I think. Um, and I like the way on eBay people lay things out in a very workaday fashion. And what I was trying to do was sort of almost record the day, that, you know, the, the, the time that these objects were above ground, because I had them reburied. So this was unearthed in North Carolina in the USA, these lead soldiers, and they were buried in battle uh, near Hastings. So they were buried on the, the battleground of Battle of Hastings. So I quite like... You know, it's called different dirt. So these things have been dug up in America and buried in England and vice versa. And this is a pain bullet, um, which, you know, the term to bite the bullet comes from. It's, you know, it's to do with chewing on a lead bullet in field hospitals in, say, American Civil War when there wasn't any anaesthetic and you just had to bite this bullet while they sawed off your leg or whatever it was. Um, and this was from... Um, a dug Civil War hospital bullet from the Vicksburg campaign. It, has teeth marks on the other side as well, used, used to bite the bullet for the pain during usually fatal operation. Um, and so um, what I liked about the American ads, they're much more descriptive than the British ads, they're much more pragmatic than the British ads for some reason. This is unearthed in Vicksburg, Mississippi, USA, and reburied in Freud's back garden in London in 2003. So I reburied the pain bullet with Freud. Um, this is 10 military buttons. Um, this was dug up in Kent, England, and reburied in Truthful Consequences, New Mexico. There is a place called Truthful Consequences, New Mexico, and it's actually um, was renamed because a guy who had a TV show called you know, quiz show called Truthful Consequences lived there, and they renamed the town after him. So I love the idea of these being buried at Truthful Consequences. So this is um, um, medieval to modern, um, unearthed in Surrey, England, and buried in Las Vegas, Nevada. So this was, you know, all kinds of stuff, musket balls, lead sack seals, clay, clay pipes, badges, all kinds of British stuff. One of the things I did was find some uh, coin, um, Roman coins that had been dug up in Cheshire, and I had them buried in Athens, Georgia. And I, really, <laughs> and I really liked the idea that somebody might dig them up in the future and find these Roman coins and think the Romans had been in America. <laughs> Um, this is a piece, I made these weird tents years ago called Transitional Object. My parents had both died about, you know, 10 weeks apart in 2007. I, I found myself making these very weird tents, um, which were made of various layers of net, which was safety net, from you know, the safety net you get on buildings when they do building sites. And then I had these lead, um, bags of lead uh, shot that were anchors. So they were suspended, they never touched the ground. 
and they were called transitional objects. Um, and so when I, I did another series of prints for Alan, which were called worry lines. I think I was quite worried, <laughs> still am. And these were photographs through these nets in my studio. So these were um, etchings called worry lines. Um, okay, so that's another series I did. Back to Fox Talbot. <laughs> this is Articles of Glass. The image you saw before was the Articles of Silver. And what he did, Fox Talbot, is he, he wanted to photograph in 1840 or 18, you know, Cock Abbey. He wanted to photograph lots of different objects. He made this set, you know, almost like a theatrical setup with the um, shelves to put these various objects to see. You know, they were receivers of light, really. And he chose objects you'd normally get in those Valentas paintings. You know, you'd get, you know, the, the, the Dutch were maestros at that, those kind of paintings where you'd have glassware and some lemons. And, you know, it's all about mortality. And he, he this is one of his favourite photographs because glass, he said, was such a great receiver of light. And it, he could, it helped him sort of pioneer his techniques in photography. So these are the objects in the show here at, in the, in the, in the um, print fair. Um, I tracked down the objects in this photograph. There's only eight left. All the others are lost or broken. And the others belong to the Bodleian Library uh, in Oxford. And I was showing a piece at the Bodleian Library. And then I heard that the fox told that glassware was there. And I thought, I've got to see if I can borrow them to make prints with. Um, this is a piece, early piece, this is like the 91, and this is in Leipzig in, um, just, you know, just after the war came down in East Germany, and I made a giant piece which was about 20 windows like this in a museum, in a show, and this was called Another Matter, and this was um, glassware that I'd borrowed from all the various, you know, <laughs> Gewandhaus and all the, you know, local bars, I'd borrowed all this glassware, and I filled it with red wine and water. And so, um, and it was called Another Matter. Um, but it's, I was very much thinking about Fox Talbot and his glassware on the shelves. And I, I do go to boot sales a lot. <laughs> I love all the glassware. Um, and so then, um, a, a couple of years ago, was it a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago, I had a show, at, um, a, a proper one-person show at Alan Christie. And Alan was very nervous about me doing this show, you know, because I, I kept, he kept saying, I would like to know what you're doing before you do it. I really want you to write it down. And I said, oh dear, okay, because I don't really do that. <laughs> so I gave him a couple of decoy ideas, you know, I said, oh, it's going to be about this. And then <laughs> I went down and I, I was working um, uh, with Thumbprint down in South London, um, Peter Kosovic, who helped me with these. And so we tried out these, uh, you know, decoy ideas, which were not very good. And, you know, we, I made many prints that weren't very good. And then, and he was so great, because he was so patient. And he said, no, don't worry. And then, um, this is article, articles of glass by me. <laughs> this, is, this is not Fox Talbot's glassware, but this is, you know, one of the prints where I realized that I'd been making photograms in the, in the dark room using real objects. And this is me using real objects to make a photogravure. Um, and this is an old piece, 1993. It's called One Day's Glass Will Break. And it's a stack of glasses which I've engraved with the words on it. And I, it had to be stacked, you know, to, to, to read this mantra. And if you stack them to this height, they're much more likely to be broken because it's called One Day's Glass Will Break. And so this was the title of the show I did with Alan. And this is 
And this is another stack of glasses, but this is a, basically it's a photographic contact sheet. I'm using the real object and I'm lighting with UV light and I'm shining onto a, a photogravure plate. Um, and so these are, I'm using real things. So it's, and what I like, you see the little white patch on where it, that's where it sits on the, the surface of the plate. So, and all the rest of it is slightly out of focus because the light's shining through it, so it's bending away. And what, I really love this out of focus feeling you got with it. And so this was all making it up on the spot. And so I was combining two of uh, Fox Talbot's technique, photogravure, um, and you know the, the sun prints where he, he just laid things on pieces of paper and exposed it to the sun. Um, so they, what, this one was called One Day's Glass Will Break, and this, is one, this one is I Told You So. <laughs> um, uh, it's all about mental instability. <laughs> um, but, but because I was laying the objects down on the plate, you can get this sensation that things are falling. So it's really, it's not falling, it's just lying on a flat surface. Um, this is a very early photogram I made. I made a lot of photograms, and this is called Spent Matches Exposed by a Live One. So what I did was strike matches and use the strike of the match to expose spent ones um, onto the photographic paper. So I didn't use a photographic, you know, I didn't use a project, you know, an overhead um, enlarger. I just used matches. So I exposed the, the spent matches to the paper and I made a series. Started off with one, two, three, four, five, six. And, and so I like this idea that it's almost like a spent match exposed by a live one. It's almost like dead people being exposed by people who are still alive. And so this is this was the first photo. This is the first photographier I did, with in, um, which is taking this old light bulb, which was a giant light bulb. It's a theatre light bulb I got in Leipzig when I was in Leipzig <laughs> from a theatre. They had all these spent light bulbs, and I really liked them. They were massive. And so I said to, uh, to, to Pete, you know, what happens? I mean, because the photographier machine, it's got a vacuum on it, you know, and it's made for photographic film, and that's what it's, they usually use it for. And I said, well, is there anywhere I can expose the plate, not in this, but in somewhere I can put a three-dimensional object? And so this is what we did. We, we took the plate to another part of the printmaking studio and used his setup for fo photo etching, which has got space above it. And so we put the light bulb, as it's very first, it's like the eureka moment, and I exposed it with, to the UV light, and we got this beautiful facsimile of the light bulb. And I was very, very excited about the technique, because it, you know, um, we, feel, we felt like we'd made a new technique of some kind. <laughs> um, and this is another light bulb, it's called, uh, the other one was called Spent Light Bulb Exposed by a Live One. So it's a bit like my spent matches, but it, I was just telling you, this is a light bulb that's burnt out, but it's been exposed by a different kind of light. This is called an idea, a different light bulb. Um, and this is called premeditated act of violence. So the idea in the first one was to smash it. So this is the same light bulb, which no longer exists, but it's, it's, hit, it's had a d d demise. This is called tequila bottle, and then brackets empty. <laughs> uh, and this is called <laughs> a shot of tequila which is me taking a mouthful of the tequila and spitting it onto the etching, onto the photogravure plate. And you know I like explosions, so this was very exciting to me, because I'd done prints before where I spat sugar onto etching plates. Um, I did a piece for the, years ago for the Royal College Benefit um, auction, and so I spat sugar. And when you do it on an etching plate, you just get black or white. You don't get any tone in between. But on the photogravure plate, you've just got all the tones, because the alcohol evaporated very 
quickly, so some areas were really light, and then when there's a puddle of it, it just went really black. And also, it's chemically reacting with the, um, the, the material on the photogravure plate. You know, there's a kind of gelatin on it, and it's starting to corrode the gelatin. So I was very excited about that. Um, this is called Composition with Flutes, <laughs> um, which is champagne flutes, which I broke by mistake, not really on purpose. And so I quite like the idea of composition with flutes. And this is called a, a broken glass. So I really was excited by this idea of, you know, a lot of my work has got this kind of sense of animation in it because I've suspended things. And so it's gone back to a moment just before it fell and landed on the ground. And so I was really excited to find that I could do that through printmaking too, although it's lying on a flat plate. This is called an enigma. And I called it an enigma because it's basically one of those sweet jars you put candies in and I put a, a, this kind of net you get you put on bottles wine bottles to protect it um, and it suddenly made it into a very abstract object and so we shone light for it and again it's very sharp focused in the middle but very blurred around the outside and this was where I got very excited because this is called a tumbler with ice and basically it's a tumble full of tumble tumbler full of ice and I thought that it would all come out transparent because light would shine through it. And so I poured the ice onto the plate and placed the glass down. And the, gla the, the, the ice started to corrode into the gelatin on the plate. So it all came out black when we, we printed it up. And I was, I was very excited about that idea that this ice suddenly became black ice. And this is called Jug Full of Ice, one of my favorites. Um, and you can see the moisture on the, the jug is, is clear. The reason it's clear and the ice is not is because the, the moisture on the jug is not touching the plate. You just, light is just shining through it. When, when the um, ice touches the plate, you get this instantaneous act, which is me throwing the, the ice onto the plate, and then you get little rings of five minutes exposure. So it's exposed to the plate for five minutes, so you get the melt that happens in five minutes. And so it's got an instant, and it's got a durational thing, which I really like. So it's called a jug full of ice. I like the idea of throwing a jug full of ice at someone. <laughs> Um, and I've worked a lot with silver, as you know, over the years, if you know my work. Um, and I've done pieces called 30 Pieces of Silver. That's a, something that's cropped up in my work a lot over the years. And I'd had the, I found these photographic plates, which are 12 inches by 10. I don't know what that is in metric. Um, 30 centimetres by you know, 25 or something like that. And I found them a whole stack of them in down in uh, Brick Lane Market about 25 years ago, and I'd had them all this time, and they were beautiful. They were from Spinks Auction House, which is not very far from here, and these were um, these big photographic um, negatives, um, going back to Fox Talbot and the negative, um, and they were in glassine bags. The glassine bags are, you know, what they put the, you know, to protect the um, negative. And, um, and I said, let's put one of these in the photogravure machine. The one, this is actually the very first thing I did, was I put it in the photographic machine, which has the vacuum and the, the thing, and it broke, not this particular one, but another one. It just broke the plate because of the vacuum. But it came out really beautifully, and it had the, the, all the texture of the bag and all the rest of it. And so then when I, we transferred it to this other part of the um, studio, we managed to get none of them broken. 
And this, I tracked this down, this is the advert that image is from. So this is, the, this is like Cromwellian silver tankard from 15-something or other. And Spinks sold it in 1962. This is an ad for their, their auction house. And these were the negatives that were made by the photographer. And so there's these two layers, you know, the 2D and the 3D. I like the idea of this two-dimensional thing, which is the print and the bag and then the three-dimensionality. This is a silver bullet teapot from 17-something or whatever. And I love the fact of this, you know, that all these objects now are out in the world. They're real objects that have been sold at the auction house and now reside in somebody's um, shelf. And, but, I, but somehow they've been trapped as this negative. But because the photogravure process is a positive one, you get, you get the negative. You don't get a positive. And then occasionally I'd have a broken one, which I kept because I like the broken one and I really like these. So you, you, this is um, source tureen in brackets broken. So we're going back to Fox Talbot again. So here's the objects that used to be on the shelf. And now these are the objects that exist. All the others have gone. So I've digitally removed these from this image. And so this is my, my version of Fox Talbot's Articles of Glass. So all the others are gone. They've broken or they've disappeared. And these belong to the Bodleian, which he very kindly let, lent them to me. <laughs> Um, so that I was allowed to bring them to London with a courier. And these are them in the Bodleian, in their stores. This is in the print. And this is a, a, a print I made of them, the light shining through them. So it's the same as that with the light shining through them. So this is the underside of the article's glass. Part of the, I like the idea that they've been liberated from, you know, from the museum. And very, I like using museum objects a lot, you know, so things like David Crockett's cut for a razor, I can use it to make a drawing with. Oh, um, you know, that things don't have to be, or the guillotine that chopped off Marinette's head, I can use it to cut something up. I quite like the idea of things, history doesn't stop things, you know, that you can take things out of the museum and reactivate them. So, and they had these museum labels on, which I quite like, so I made some prints with the labels on, and then I got carried away. <laughs> but I like the, the idea that these things have sat on shelves throughout history in various museums, collections, including the Met, including Bodleian Library, as these static images now are, have, have had a little day down in, my, you know, in the print studio. So these are the objects. These are all Fox Tolbus's objects. Um, and I like the idea that he, he touched them and all the rest of it. It's all private fetishization for me. <laughs> And then I was getting a bit naughty. The courier was busy checking her Instagram or something. So at this point, I was <laughs> she wasn't even watching what I was doing. <laughs> and I like these, these sun prints he made, which was you know, the beginning of photogravure. Photogravure, he realized if he could, get, he could capture an image on, on photosensitive surface, he could use ink that didn't need fixative to make, you know, to make a print. You know, that if you use the, you know, photography, you'd lose it because he wasn't quite knew how to fix things. Um, so that's a positive and negative. This is a print I made for the Tate, which is four, these are four different flowers. It's called um, Black Flowers. I made this the day that we heard about Brexit. <laughs> I'm very pleased with these. There's a couple of prints. I, I do, odd, you know, charity prints, and this is this is one for the House of Fairy Tales, which is Gavin Turk and his wife Deborah. Um, their charity, which is for school children, and so they wanted to do a portfolio of tulips, and so this is a tulip 
sitting in a glass tumbler, which I've sat on the plate and shone a diagonal light on it. And then you get the shadow of the tulip, but you get the reality of the glass. So it's, I was really happy with this. So it's, it's just a, a white tulip that has now become black. And this is for the Terence Higgins Trust, and this is called Deception Glass, and it's three glasses. Deception Glass, I don't know if you know what a deception glass is, it's a, it's a, a, a glass a Toastmaster might have, which has got very thick glass, and you have very little space for alcohol. Um, it's not for serious drinkers. <laughs> and uh, they're called Deception Glass, or decept Deceptive Glass, so you can you know, carry on drinking all night, but you're drinking tiny amounts. So there's three of them. And, uh, and again, with a diagonal light. Um, this is, you know, erased de Kooning. This is the last few images, by the way. Uh, this is erased de Kooning uh, by Rauschenberg that's just been on the tape, which is one of my favourite works. I love this. Um, my favourite Rauschenberg work. Um, and I... <laughs> it's not by me. <laughs> this is the Royal Academy Summer Show a few years ago. And the Royal Academy Summer Show, um, I think it's hilarious that they stick red spots. If you really you know, sell a lot of your edition of prints, you get this red spot stuck on the image. And if you're really successful, you, you might not even see the image at all. <laughs> so, so, as a new Royal Academician, I was totally amazed by this and thinking, whoa, this is, I really like the red spots. And if you did cats, birds, you know, dogs, you'd guaranteed to have a lot of red spots. <laughs> And I was very envious of the red spots, and I thought, well, I would like to have some of them myself. You know, this would be really good. So, so I um, took a photograph of the most popular work in the summit show um, about four years ago, and then I, I did an erased decooning on it. <laughs> I took away the image, <laughs> and then, and then I called it Stolen Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> and then I framed it up and put it in the Royal Academy show. Um, uh, this was an edition of 250, the, this artist, but I put it as a modest 100, because I thought, well, you know, and, and made it quite cheap so I'd get some sales. <laughs> and I was really pleased. <laughs> I was really pleased, because I did, you know, I did quite well. The bottom row is my spots. And then I, I thought, well, I'm going to photograph it again and put it in next year's. <laughs> so this is the second year. Uh, um, and this is the third year. <laughs> <laughs> and I finally sold out on the third year, which I was really excited about. And, uh, um, and, uh, it, and it was getting really big. <laughs> and my gallery, who only gets 20% rather than 50%, were really pissed off because they're all coming to the rest. And they said, we can't do this any longer. It's getting beyond the pale. Um, <laughs> we're getting very little revenue from this, and it's an awful lot of work. <laughs> I said, well, think of it as a loss leader. <laughs> uh, this is in New York at the, the, the British Consul's house, and this is um, Theresa May, pre-election. <laughs> and I was, I was sent this by Penny Johnson, who's head of the government art collection, said, oh, your work's in a good place, have a look. <laughs> and I heard that Blumberg had bought two, one for each of his offices, I was very pleased. And this is my final image. This is this year's Royal Academy. I'm just using this as a promotion <laughs> for anybody who might buy, want to buy one. It's very cheap, 320 pounds. <laughs> And it's an edition of 100, and this one's called Stolen Thunder, in brackets, once removed. It's a redaction rather than a removal. <laughs> very important. <laughs> Another artist who did very well. These big spots mean that, that those, they've sold 10 of, you know, so it's... Um, and, it's and the last spot says sold out. So, uh, so I'm, I'm using the Pavlovian idea of encouraging people to buy things. Very shameless. <laughs> so that's it, I'm afraid. What is it? Yes. Okay. <laughs>
you so much for showing us all your uh, well, <laughs> all my efforts. Actually, only a, a selection of the incredibly rich variety of your print work. Um, <laughs> as um, as Kira told you, I'm Jan Daly, and I'm going to just um, hog um, Cornelia for a little while. But I promise you, I will. Um, let you all have a chance to ask lots of questions, as I'm sure you'll want to. First thing I wanted to ask you was about the whole idea of making your work in multiple editions. I mean, you've made lots of wonderful jokes about multiples in the, <laughs> all the Red Spot uh, Stolen Thunder works, but it's quite a difference, isn't it? Especially for somebody like you who's made some massive, monumental individual works, many of them, and then to come later on to a whole different idea about repeatability, about multiples, does, does it feel very different in the creative Yeah, I mean, I think thing? it's really exciting. As you can tell with um, my Red Spot works, I'm really, you know, very excited. I mean, uh, in the end, it doesn't make me very much money, but I really love the... The, the, the kind of... I mean, when I became a Royal Academician, I thought I must make a work site-specific to the summer show, you know, so that's what the red spot print is. It's, uh, you know, because there's hardly anywhere in the world now they have red spots stuck all over everything. And in fact, I think I might have saved the red spot because they were thinking of phasing them out. <laughs> and now they've kept them on because of me. <laughs> and when it came to the first year that I was... I put the first print in. One of the other Royal Academicians who's curating the print room had put it right up by the ceiling. So, A, you couldn't even see the number on it and you couldn't quite work it. You know, I said, oh, I had to sort of say, oh, you know, as a Royal Academician, I thought I might be placed a little bit better position than, than right up at the top. <laughs> you know, there's got to be a perk to being a Royal Academician after all. And, <laughs> and so after lots of um, wrangling, I managed to get it, you know, a little bit nearer to the ground. So, so you know, those people who haven't got very good eyesight could see what it was. <laughs> um, but, yes, I'm, I'm quite enjoying the whole... I love, well, you know, from somebody who's from not necessarily a very wealthy background, I really like the idea that the work I make can be sellable and, uh, on a, to, to lots of people and not just a few oligoths <laughs> or, or, or weapons dealers. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, <laughs> a little admission there, but you heard it here first. <laughs> when you were talking about your um, work, it seems as if you've used, um, you've used the learning about the printing process as something very, um, very much an exploration, technically an exploration. And presumably for that, you need to work very, very closely with the printers. So it's like almost like having a collaborator. collaborator yes. And between you, you discover these things. So, so we're that like must kids. Be, that must be great. new as well. Well, Pete's so fantastic because he's worked with many printmakers and he makes all kinds of people's work from Anthony Gormley and Damien Hurst and all the rest of it. And we were just like naughty children, you know, because basically... The, the people who come into him normally know what they're doing. <laughs> and I didn't really. I was sort of saying, well, you know, Alan thinks I'm doing this, but I might find something out a bit more interesting if I could just 
get going. So he was really up for it, and that was what's nice. I mean, I do, I do work a lot with people, you know, like the British Army or National Rifle Association, whoever it is. And actually, we tend to enjoy the process because we're just playing around, you know, with materials. And, and it gives them an excuse and time out from their expertise just to, 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 to go off piste, as it were. You know, and so I'm not very technically skilled at anything because I'm too grasshopper. I like trying lots of things. So it would take a lifetime to know how to carve beautifully or, you know, paint a fantastic still life. But I, I think what I do is tap into other people's expertise and together we can make something that... And so Pete, I thought it's great because Pete said, oh, well, I've been, you know, doing printing for 45 years and I've never, you know, I've never... This is a different technique. So he was very excited about it and I was excited about it. And so, we, so we're enjoying that. And I think because I'm not an expert, it's easier to have an original thought because you don't know all the orthodoxy necessarily around the practice because you're not an expert and I quite like being the non-expert. So presumably you, th you throw a lot away. You must have a lot of stuff you don't like and you just think, no, that doesn't work. And yeah, so I just don't think about... I try not to think about the time that's taken to make that thing because it's a learning curve with anything, you know. But I don't want things to be too slick and so, you know, I think, you know, you just have to put... If you, the hours in and you, you'll find something that's, you know, the first thing you think of is really crass and, you know, and then the second one is slightly less crass and then, you know, vaguely crass is okay. <laughs> uh, I don't mind a cliche. I don't mind things, you know, but, you know, I, and this is, this image here, the, the black frame on the outside is actually a virtual frame. I mean, it will be look like that summer show, but I, um, I asked my um, assistant who helps with Photoshop to, if he could put a black frame up so I can tell what it's going to look like. Uh, but I like the idea that it's, it's, it's like the... Because I did a black and white room for the... I curated a black and white room for the summer show a few years ago at the Royal Academy. And so this is the kind of joke with the black and white. So this is the black series since Trump, you know. <laughs> I've gone very depressed. <laughs> so what you're describing really is the process of of serendipity that, I mean, perhaps it takes many, many years of work for an artist to become self-confident enough to rely on the serendipity of what the printing process might bring you, whether or not the ice comes out black or um, any, of, any of those things. And it sounded, when you were talking about your print work, as if that was an element that you really enjoyed. That's where, I create, that's where I'm really happy when I'm doing something. I don't know what the heck's going on, but it's surprising me. And it, I mean, I was saying to Pete, said, hey, why don't we get some sugar cubes and some ants and let's see if we can get nice photograph you out of that. And, I mean, I've got quite a few ideas I would like to try out. And so, but, but Pete's a willing accomplice, so it's quite nice. Um, no, it's great to have willing accomplices. <laughs> and do you think that you'll be kind of always making prints. I mean, now are I, they really part of your life? Yeah, I love, I must admit, it's opened a door and I'm now, you know, thinking of so many ideas. When I, I was trying to do my Fifth Street show, I've got a Fifth Street show on at the moment, both Fifth Street spaces, so I'm promoting myself again. Um, it just opened last week on Thursday in both Golden Square and in Fifth Street itself, there's two spaces. But I kept thinking about ideas for prints. <laughs> and I didn't want to tell Jane Hamlin, my gallerist, that I was thinking about prints and not her show. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, I kept thinking, oh, I could do this, you know. So, But I think it's going back and forth. I think, you know, the prints are informing the 
other work and vice versa. So it's nice. It's like drawing. It's like a form of drawing. And photography. I use photography in a very similar way that I take photographs all the time. I just, I've just become the artist for the election, um, appointed by... I was about uh, to ask you about that. That's a whole new subject. You, you didn't show us your cartoon. You had a cartoon. Oh, yes, I'm showing my cartoon. Where is it? Let's see be... the cartoon, please. Oh, I think it's... Oh, where no, it's, it? it's, after the, it's after the one with Theresa May. It's oh. there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so... For, for some reason, you skipped that one, <laughs> but I knew it was there. So here you are. Um, As in private eye. Mm. <laughs> Somebody sent it me the other day and I was yes. very, I'm yeah. looking, uh, I said, are you sure that's not Theresa May and not me? <laughs> uh, do I really look that old? It's just terrible. I know I am that old, but... Um, and they've only given you blue paint. Oh, no. No other colour. <laughs> I mean, I'm very happy because I'm not a painter. Uh, I got thrown out of painting at college, so I'm sort of... <laughs> um, but yes, I think it's very funny. I mean, I do love political satire. Yeah. You know, in America, the, so, the, the, you know, all the, the best yeah. news is the, the, the satire programmes and not the, the proper news. So tell us how this came about. Were you invited to do this? I, I was. Um, um, Last week. Remarkable Last week. task. Yeah, no, it's curious because a couple of years ago I was sent an, a, an email about applying for the election artist because normally it's only there's been four election artists before and people are invited to apply for it and then they shortlist five people and then they you interviewed and then you're supposed to tell them what you're going to do so they can check it all out to make sure you're not going to do anything bad and and then you you get awarded it and then you you know you get a fee and that work goes into the collection and then um, I thought I remember two years ago thinking oh no I don't I'm not, I don't fancy that. I'd much more of being a free radical on the outside, not being, you know, parliament stooge, <laughs> making some sort of bland work about the, you know, because I'm not a painter. I'm not, I'm not saying painting's bland. <laughs> but anyway, um, and then this, this, I mean, I've worked vaguely with the House of Commons over the years. You know, I got the Hoover bags from the House of Lords and the House of Commons quite a long time ago. Um, so the dust, you know, it was, it was red from the House of Commons and green from the House of Lords, uh, vice versa, um, because they had a red carpet in the House of Lords. Now they've got a blue one. But um, So I made works over the years. I, I did an image, a work that was in the summer show here of me holding the budget box, you know, the Gladstone one with lots of scratches on it. And, and the front of it's red and the back, the back of it's black. And people don't know that the back of it's black because... The Chancellor always stands like this. The reason he stands like that is because the bag used to be Gladstone's. He had it sitting on his table. It was not meant to be a, a, a briefcase. He took the handle off the middle and put it on the side and used it as dispatch box as a hand, you know, as a, a, a briefcase. And so this gesture like this of the Chancellor's to do is concealing the black part of the bag. <laughs> and so now they've got a new bag, which George Osborne commissioned, which has got a black bag still, but it's got a fake antiqued front, which I think is very worrying. <laughs> so I like the damage on the bag. That's a information. Yes, done by politicians. So all the damage on the bag is done by politicians. But anyway, so a few weeks ago, before that horrible thing that happened in Parliament, you know, with the terrorists, about four or five days before, I went to the House of Parliament to meet the head of architects, because I was trying to see if I can get materials for, the, for my work from the House of Parliament, because they're refurbishing it bit by bit, and then they go to... Uh, 
decant all the MPs out. And then they, so I was hoping to get some, you know, wonderful stuff, you know. And so we had a very fruitful conversation, and that might happen. And then a few weeks later, because of this, you know, because of the snap election, they hadn't had time to do all the normal process. So, uh, so I think they just phoned two or three people up and said, "Do you fancy, you know?" not coming for an interview, but just the names going to the committee, which are all MPs, and then they chose me. Well, I'm dying to ask you what work you think you might be making, but I'm aware of time, and I think I'm going to... Uh, you can ask, you yeah, can you, ask. So you, you can ask. Yes. So I'm going to um, throw it open to the floor for questions. Do you regard yourself as an alchemist? Oh, um, yeah, a bit. Transubstantiation I'm interested in. <laughs> as a lapsed Catholic. <laughs> I think, you know, the whole transubstantiation thing is about, you know, when I was brought up a Catholic, you, you, you know, you were, you were saying there's a piece of paper which is the host, and you say, this is the body of Christ, this is bread, this is the body of Christ, actually it's a piece of paper. <laughs> and then you have it on your tongue, and then you, you go home and you get wrapped with guilt for years and, you know, spend a lot of time damaged... And then, then you find art and try and unpick the damage. <laughs> and transform another piece of paper. Yes, so, so yes. <laughs> so I think of the printmaking process, for me, it's the nearest I get to transubstantiation. The ice suddenly becomes this black thing, which was totally surprising and very exciting. Now, I, I love not knowing, which is not always good for... I, I don't really do that many commissions, but, you know, I don't like going and them saying, what are you going to do? Because you think, well, I don't know, because I haven't had the experience yet. You know, it's like asking de Kooning how, how, where he's going to put his paintbrush next. <laughs> no, I'm, trying to I'm not going to compare myself to de Kooning. <laughs> well, I was going to ask about your use of Instagram for the oh, yes. uh, electioneering thing, because that's, you know, you went your big works, which are very you know, one-off things. Then you're talking about prints, which are available to more people. And Instagram is just available for absolutely anyone. Um, it, I was asked, you know, by the, by the um, House of Commons that they wanted me to do some social media. And I think Instagram, for me, was the thing I was... I realised I was doing it anyway. I was sending emails. <laughs> you know, I'm not Luddite, but, you know, I, 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 I think I'd avoided social media because I thought, I don't want any more portals, you know, I don't want any more stuff coming at me. And my daughter, who's 15, is on Instagram, and she said, oh, Mum, you should do Instagram. Blah, blah. And <laughs> she's very excited, now I am doing Instagram. Um, Election Artist 2017, if anybody wants to follow. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm really enjoying it because I do take images all the time on my iPhone. In fact, my Fifth Street show is all sh video shot on iPhone. Um, so for me, it's my sketchbook. So I'm taking, you know, I usually take about 20 images a day. So some of them I'm posting to to Instagram, and that's quite exciting, with a political lens. So now all the stuff I'm putting up is... is is even the most humble photograph of my cat sort of lying on the floor with her paws against the wall. I called it uh, cat leaning to the right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, I can imagine doing a cat video soon. <laughs> That'll go viral. <laughs> I found it really interesting when you were talking about how, um, how much you loved the idea that Fox Tolbert had touched these objects and like left fingerprints behind. Mm. Do you, it's a bit of a weird question, but do you see printmaking in a sense as fetishistic? Um, because I think you used the word fetish, you had a bit of a fetish for that idea almost. Um, because yeah. that element of touch. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, what's nice about 
these, this, these vessels for alcohol, because that's what they are, um, some of them have still got tiny residues of alcohol in them. You know, so Fox Talbot's glassware, I think it's been polished on the outside, but inside it's still got residue of, of whatever had been in it when he had them. And so what's interesting about objects that belong to famous people, or they, they're almost immediately deified. You know, they're, they're kind of a bit like the Catholic relic. You know, they're captured at a certain moment and then, you know, they, they're preserved as they were. You know, you don't, you, like silver objects um, in museums, I mean, when I did the, the polishing of the silver objects, which I showed you, I mean, it was small regional museums that allowed me to do that because I think the big museums, what they do is polish them with an inch of their life and then they lacquer them. You know, but I think Tarnish is a really beautiful recorder of time. You know, that um, I did a piece years ago called 20 Years of Tarnish, and it was a pair of goblets which had got all these, you know, was very tarnished. And a friend of mine who gave them to me said, oh, here you are, you can have these. Uh, they were my wedding presents and I don't want them anymore because I'm divorced and all the rest of it. And I said, I love the tarnish. How long has that taken to accrue? And she said, 20 years plus, you know. And so I called it 20 years of tarnish and then in brackets, wedding presents and just presented <laughs> the tarnish as the object. And so that was a kind of, and yet I called it that in, I can't remember what year it was, 2005 or something. And it stayed that, even though it's not 20 years, it's you know, 30 years or whatever. Yeah, I'm, I don't want to sidetrack things too much, but we, you've been talking a lot about 2D printing, and I was just wondering if you'd thought about doing any 3D printing in your work. Um, I'm interested in 3D printing, um, and I'm reading a lot about it at the moment because I'm very interested in graphene, which is this material that was the... Um, you know, uh, what two, two at, one atom thick layer of graphite, yeah. which could revolutionise most things. And now they're talking about 3D printing it and making batteries out of it and all the rest of it. So I'm very interested on the scientific point of view. I mean, the actual physical object... I mean, when I was doing my show in Manchester, the Whitworth, a couple of years ago, I was working with a scientist at the university and I was trying to scan... Um, a, 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 a sort of ledger that had a bullet go through it in the Second World War, and I was trying to make the passage of the bullet into an object by 3D scanning, and we'd made it, and I just didn't like it. It just had no charisma, and it was made by a machine, and I mean, you know, I don't know. I think it's not quite there yet, but it's quite exciting, I think. Um, but I, I'm very interested in it. I'm reading about it a lot, but... I don't know, it's, it's hard, that whole thing of laser cutting, for example, which has become so ubiquitous, and you can make the most intricate things with laser cutting, but I'm not sure yet if it's... I just, everything's been made by robots, and I quite like the, the, touch, the touch of things. You could, uh, well, you could combine the two, I guess. Yeah, you could, you could. You could, um, you could do something that's 3D printed and then dissolve it in acid. <laughs> <laughs> Flatten it. Roll, <laughs> roll over it. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know if you remember, but a few weeks ago I bumped into you in Pimlico Station and all I could say was, I love your work, but I always had other questions that I wanted to ask you. Oh. So I'm, really, I'm really happy that I got another chance to ask you uh, one of the questions I had. So I was wondering, how do you go... Your work is quite cheeky and playful and how you approach certain institutions um, and the collections to borrow their work. Um, how do you... Do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, but quite directly, really. Um, I mean, if I can, I go and I, I like to go and see people face to face. You know, if I can, you know, I borrowed a load of things for the maybe the collaboration with Tilda Swinton at the Serpentine, where I borrowed about thirty-five objects from various museums, and I went to all London museums, and I went to all of them and went through their collection, and I chose things, and it was just an excuse to be nosy, really, <laughs> and get my hand on things. Um, but. Um, you're not called Parker for nothing. <laughs> um, but, you know, yeah, I, I like asking. It doesn't mean you get permission. I've, I've been lots of refusals. And what I did like about the, you know, this whole political election thing, it gives me a little bit of an in, you know, that, um, you know, we went the other night, I was on Newsnight, which was quite fun, and um, they filmed me in the House of Commons, and I didn't realise I wasn't allowed to photograph anything, so I got my iPhone out and I was photographing everything, and, uh, you know, dints in the seats made by politicians' bottoms and things, and uh, and then the toilets, which is on Instagram of, uh, you know, it's the men's toilets, it says, um, gentlemen, and then above it says, um, out of order. <laughs> and so I posted all this stuff on Instagram before before I was told that I wasn't really supposed to do that, and you know, um, you're not supposed to take any images inside the House of Commons and all the rest of it, and so, and then I had my hand on Margaret Thatcher statue, which um, was a big, huge statue of Margaret Thatcher in one of the lobbies, and, and she had a little gap under one of her heels. So I put my hand on and went, ah, you know, <laughs> which is also in Instagram. So, but uh, you know, this is all hamming it up for the cameras, and I quite like being this silly fool, you know, a bit like the court fool that, um, you know, there's, there is an. It, I mean, I was the Hogarth Fellow last year at the Foundling Museum. So it's, it's the spirit of Hogarth that I quite like. That um... I'm amazed they haven't sacked you yet. Do you, do you actually think you're going to get through the next five weeks? I don't know, <laughs> but I'm just going for it. <laughs> I think they're a bit worried. <laughs> well, do you have any thoughts about what you want it to be f for? I mean, being the election artist, is, is it... I mean, you're serving your country, of course. Well, I, I'm a, <laughs> well, I'm a very concerned citizen. Yes, you're a very concerned citizen. And I'm... And you're a campaigner, and you will find it... Hard. Uh, well, <laughs> I know enough about you to know that you'll find it difficult to, to be even-handed, not because you're not an extremely fair person, you are, but because you're a very passionate person. And it's very difficult to be objective and even-handed. Well, I've worked a lot with organisations. I'm not necessarily, you know, like the National Rifle Association, for example, because I'm not pro-gun. But, you know, I quite like being in out of my comfort zone with people who might not share the same opinions, you know, because you're testing your prejudices and vice versa. You know, there's a dialogue that goes on. So I'm... I quite enjoy that for some perverse <laughs> fetishistic reason that I quite like. <laughs> um, was it, was, who's the guy? Paul Nuttall? Can't wait to go on the campaign bus. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it should be really interesting and challenging because for me, uh, it's all about inquiry and trying to make sense of things and because the world is not very, making very much sense at the moment at all. And so I've been really, the last few months since Trump got in power and since Brexit, I've been feeling really a high level of anxiety, as we all have, and just thinking, what's happening here? And my daughter's 15, and what's her future going to be like, and all the rest of it. And so I'm trying to make sense of it. And as artists, you don't know if you can be vocal. You know, you, you, I don't want to make propaganda art about all this stuff. I just want to be myself and so um so I'm, I'm i'm thinking when this this bolt from the blue came and they asked me to be this i thought well why not i shall find out you know and watch this space <laughs> <laughs>
and if I get sacked, I'm going to carry on anyway. <laughs> One more question, perhaps. Um, do you have like a preferred method of printing? Oh, um, I'm, I'm no, no. I'm, as I'm such a beginner, I'm really, I'm quite excited about woodcuts. You know, I, I'm, you know, etching. I, I love the idea of etching because you're biting in something. It's, it's got this slightly destructive side to it, which I really like. Um, <laughs> um, no, I think uh, I think there's a lot of other printmaking techniques I'd like to explore. Um, I remember cutting up the blankets at art school, you know, when I wanted to put great big bits of metal <laughs> I'd found on the street under, through the etching press and, and them going, go away! <laughs> you cut up all our blankets, you know, you know and you, you're always destroying things. So, so, but no, I'm, I'm very excited about all kinds of printmaking. I think printmaking's fantastic, I really do love it. Um, you know, and there's Hogarth and William Blake and all these kind of people who've used it. And so I think it's a very exciting medium. All of them, you know, but I, I mean, hopefully I can create a new, you know, some more hybrid techniques, being the, the, um, the amateur that I am, I can break some more rules. <laughs> well, you've broken a lot of rules and made wonderful creations out of them all, so I think, sadly, I think we'll have to stop because we could talk much, much more about your wonderful work. But thank you so much. Please thank you, join Joe. me in thanking Cornelia. Thank you for listening. For more information about the Royal Academy, please visit www.royalacademy.org.uk.